Hello everyone, this is Paul Rodden and I want to welcome you back to the Hydrogen Podcast. So the big questions in the energy industry today are, how is hydrogen the primary driving force behind the evolution of energy? Where is capital being deployed for hydrogen projects globally? And where are the best investment opportunities for early adopters who recognize the importance of hydrogen? I will address the critical issues and give you the information you need to deploy capital. Those are the questions that will unlock the potential of hydrogen, and this podcast will give you the answers. My name is Paul Rodden, and welcome to the Hydrogen Podcast. Today, we're here at the Hydrogen Technology Expo North America Conference in Houston, Texas, and I think the sun is actually coming down on us outside. It is so hot. I want to welcome our special guest, Mark Klupatnon, the Global Business Manager for Hydrogen in ExxonMobil's Low Carbon Solutions Organization. Mark has played a significant role in driving advancements in sustainable energy solutions. His leadership and dedication to low-carbon practices have positioned him as a respected figure in the field. I'm thrilled to have Mark join us today on the podcast as we explore the exciting developments and the future prospects of ExxonMobil's contributions in the hydrogen industry. Mark, I really am so very glad that you're here. Thanks, Paul. I'm really happy to be here. So with the formation of the low-carbon solutions business, ExxonMobil has moved swiftly to position itself as leader of the energy transition. You have significantly grown the pipeline of emission reduction opportunities in carbon capture and storage, hydrogen, lower emission fuels. Can you give us an overview of ExxonMobil's low carbon solutions business and what role it will play in ExxonMobil's global energy strategy? Sure, uh, well, you know, we established our low carbon solutions business um, just over two years ago now, and it was designed there to, to expand and commercialize the work we're doing in our low emissions fuels and carbon capture and storage ventures. And, you know, we are, you know, we're, we're continuing to make good progress in growing this portfolio and advantage low emission investment opportunities. But it's really predicated, if you look at what we've, we, you know, publicly announced, we've said in this uh, GHG emissions reduction space, you know, we're, we're planning on spending kind of $17 billion through 2027 in that space with about 40% of that, so about $7 billion, really looking at third-party offerings. So there's there's some spending that we want to do it to decarbonize our own facilities and using that as a as a basis then to be able to offer decarbonization solutions or low-carbon solutions to third-party customers. You know, we have a broad suite of solutions. A broad suite will be needed to meet future energy needs. The society, you know, desires to transition to net zero emissions. And, you know, when ExxonMobil, when we looked at assessing how we could make the greatest contribution to that energy transition, you know, we started with those solutions that best fit with our core capabilities. And so, you know, kind of the focus areas and technologies that we have strong strategic fit for, like carbon capture and storage, like hydrogen, like biofuels or, or low emission fuels. And, and that's really where our focus is. You know, these technologies, you know, they need to be developed at scale and in partnership with, with host governments and, and large industry partners. Today, we already are a global leader in carbon capture and storage. And, you know, we have decades of experience working in partnership with countries all over the world, right? As we look to build new businesses and new value chains. One of the things I was talking about in my presentation this morning at the Hydrogen Technology Expo was, if you look at energy-related uh, CO2 emissions, you know, 33 million tons a year, you know, an 80% of that is around electricity production, the industrial emissions, and commercial transportation. And those emissions, that's eight times more than, than associated with gasoline-powered light vehicles. And that 80%, that's where we believe with ExxonMobil that, that you know, we can contribute the most and they're the, the sectors we're most focused on. Great. So ExxonMobil made a massive announcement recently. Everyone's been talking about it. The first world-scale plant 
for the production of low-carbon hydrogen at the refining and pet chem facility in Baytown. Can you talk to us about the project and then give some specifics on what makes this facility unique? You know, how does it work? How you produce the hydrogen? What are your target carbon intensity score metrics? Mm-hmm. Who will you sell the hydrogen to? And how are you going to transport the hydrogen? Are there any other production opportunities besides hydrogen? Are there any derivatives from that? Sure. So yeah, we made we made the announcement on the the Baytown Blue Hydrogen Project earlier this year, and it is it is planned to be you know a, a billion standard cubic feet a day, right? So you know about a million tons a year. It, it's it will be the largest low carbon hydrogen plant in the world. You know when we plan to start up in 2027-2028, and you know if you think about the the scale of that, you know the typical seeing uh, methane reform and SMR today is around 150 million scuffs a day, right? Yeah. Uh, it's, it's a significant size increase. And, and, you know, this is, again, this is ExxonMobil bringing its capabilities to the fore and, and really testing the limits of scale here in order to be able to drive down the cost of this. Right. And we look at the hydrogen solutions or the, the technologies available today. Blue hydrogen really is the solution that's available at scale and that can be deployed at scale. Right. And a million tons. So what do we do with that million tons? And as I mentioned earlier, you know, we have our own plans and ambitions to, to decarbonize our own scope one and scope two emissions. And so this will help with decarbonizing our, our Baytown complex. So we expect to be able to reduce site CO2 emissions there by up to 30%. But that will only use you know, a portion of that, of that million tons a year yeah. of hydrogen. The remainder then, and you would have seen some of the announcements we've already made, we're terming up in with, with third parties to sell, to sell that volume. Uh, either as hydrogen in its molecular or gaseous form yeah. or converting it into ammonia mm-hmm. uh, to be able to ship to other countries around the world. It's a hot topic right now. Right. Absolutely. LNG versus blue ammonia. Absolutely. And so, you know, we, this is the, the advantage of being with ExxonMobil as well, is we have a broad portfolio of solutions to be able to offer to customers depending on you know, what kind of carbon intensity they're looking for, the rate and pace and, and the willingness to pay. We can offer everything from, you know, natural gas, LNG, to hydrogen, to to biofuels, to to carbon capture storage, depending on what the application is, what the the natural resource kind of endowments are within the country, as well as where policy then is is directing you. So the way that we think about this blue hydrogen plant as well, you know, we, again, we're not just testing the limits of scale; we're testing the limits of of the of the level of decarbonization. So you know, we expect to be able to capture ninety eight percent of the scope one emissions coming from this production plant. So, and I mean ninety eight percent. That's that's a lot. It's huge, right? It's huge. And so, you know, you think about the amount of CO2. So we're making a million tons a year of, of hydrogen. You know, we expect then, you know, to need 7 million tons a year of storage just for this plant. Yes. And so we do have an associated project that's underpinning this that, that should be able to store 10 million tons a year. So that's 7 million tons specifically for this project. That leaves another than 3 million tons that we can leverage to go and sell to others who might want it. I think we might actually touch that a little bit later in this conversation too, which I'm looking forward to getting into. The industry is experiencing a shift in how to classify hydrogen. To make it easy, we started out with a color-based theme in order to explain the differences in technologies and processes that are involved in making hydrogen. But as we've all discovered, the color labels aren't the best. We all know my thoughts on the colors. In my opinion, the main metric to determine how effective hydrogen production will be is to determine the, and its viability is to look at its carbon intensity score. Right. I know you and I have talked about this several times over. Can you give us your thoughts on how ExxonMobil is approaching this issue and what is important for its customers to understanding move, or to understand moving forward to make informed decisions? Yeah, so Paul, you're absolutely right. There's a, 
a whole rainbow of, of, of hydrogen <laughs> colors, right? And, and it can be quite confusing it is. Um, because even if you take the same color, you know, yellow hydrogen, for example, right. there's at least three definitions of yellow hydrogen that I found. And then you, you, know, you have traditional blue and, and, uh, and, and green and then turquoise, like uh, pink and orange and purple and white and gold. Clear. So what does all that mean? Yeah. Right? And at the end of the day, you know, our approach is it really comes down to carbon intensity. Right. What is the carbon intensity that you're looking for? And again, it's specific to the application, the scale, the application demand, the willingness to pay, the policy specification or direction, as well as, like I was saying earlier, what natural resources are available to kind of tie up that supply and demand. Yeah. So within ExxonMobil, you know, we're color agnostic, right? Or perhaps better said, you know, we're technology agnostic. That's why we get along so well. <laughs> yeah. You know, we want to be able to provide the best solution for the specific supply chain that we're looking to, to build out. And you know, we start with the customer. You know, right. We start with the customer. What does the customer want? So we're taking that market back approach, understanding their willingness to pay, the, the specific needs of their application, whether that is in an industrial heat application, whether that is for steel manufacturing or uh, power generation or something like heavy duty transportation. Yeah. What are their needs? What is the, the uptime that they, they require? What is the kind of timeline they're looking at? ultimately, what is the level of decarbonization that they want and that they're willing to pay for? Right. Because that's that's the big part in the, the whole economics plan to this is just how much they're willing to pay for. Right. Before I ask my next question, carbon capture and storage, CCS, it's a cornerstone of your strategy. Would you take a moment to explain what carbon capture is and why it's considered a crucial technology essential for achieving a future with lower emissions? Sure. So carbon capture storage is the process of capturing CO2 from industrial activity or power plants, capturing the emissions wherever they're coming from, you know, that would otherwise be released into the atmosphere, and then taking that CO2 and then injecting it deep underground or under the seafloor for safe, secure, and permanent storage. CCS is an essential technology to help reduce global CO2 emissions. And when you think about what's required in this space, CO2 storage really underpins everything in, in this space, right? And and you cannot have, obviously, blue hydrogen without some CO2 right. storage solution, capture and storage solution. But as you look to, you know, for, for us to build out this value chain, CCS is fundamental. Um, and we will uh, help customers, you know, with, uh, you know, starting with the highest concentration CO2 streams, the easiest ones to, to, to capture and then store, which is then the lowest cost of carbon abatement. We build out that CO2 capture and storage infrastructure that then enables hydrogen production to come into play and be able to sequester that CO2. Once we build out hydrogen, then we can do things like biofuels, renewable diesel. The bigger then the hydrogen market becomes, then it enables us to get hydrogen to potentially other applications right. beyond just the highest uh, emitting industrial sectors that we're focused on. One of the most important aspects of this blue hydrogen facility is the ability to capture the carbon safely stored underground. Can you talk to us in detail about how it will work and what your plans are for accelerating the world's path to net zero? Sure. So, well, you know, when you when you capture the CO2 and you put it through the pipeline and then you go and sequester it underground, that CO2 is safely stored right within the geology. And this is where ExxonMobil expertise comes into play. You're obviously very good at finding oil and gas. And so we do the reverse and say, well, okay, where can we entrap that gas, yeah. right? And over hundreds of years, that stored CO2 would typically start to mineralize. And then over tens of thousands of years, it can begin to combine with other minerals to then to become a solid. So it is a, a, a safe, a proven solution. So, uh, calcium carbonate? Right. It? Yeah. Uh, right. And you know, what are we doing in this space? You know, we announced earlier the agreement with Lindy. 
you know, a leading maker of, of industrial gases that will be a foundational customer for our CCS network in the Port Arthur Beaumont area. Yeah. Yeah, just here in Texas. And, you know, we're excited to have them come on board as a foundational customer for this network. And, and under the terms of that agreement, we'll transport and permanently store you know, up to 2.2 million tons of CO2 a year from their new hydrogen plant uh, in Beaumont, which they scheduled to start in 2025. You know, that plant then will supply clean hydrogen and nitrogen to a world scale blue ammonia plant that then is being built by OCI Global. So again, we're helping to enable the build out of a broader industry or decarbonization industry. And other CCS projects as well that we've announced, so CF Industries, obviously in the ammonia fertilizer business, you know, there could be up to 2 million tons a year of CO2 that we will permanently store for them. And then most recently is the new core steel deal, again, in Louisiana, where, you know, we could store up to 800,000 tons a year of CO2. Just massive amounts of CO2 storage. <laughs> but, you know, it really takes an ExxonMobil to make moves like this. And we're, we're talking about a massive industry shift. It's, it's got to have someone with a stick as big as Exxon Mobil's to make that pot stir the way it is. Yeah, I mean, I'm not sure what to say it's a stick, but, uh, <laughs> but you know, the, the, if you look at the capabilities that we bring and, and, and the competencies that we bring, you know, we, we have the scale, as you're, as you're mentioning, you know, we, have, we have the integration, mm -hmm. you know, we have all the functional expertise and all of that is, is underpinned and technology, obviously, and yes. all that underpinned by, by our people, right? The, the knowledge that we have in, all across that value chain, up and down the value chain. So you right. start, you think about in this space, we start with the, the oil and gas extraction, the geology, as I was mm -hmm. mentioning earlier, and then we get into, you know, what do you then do with those molecules? Right. You, do, you, you go and then produce hydrogen as an example. Mm -hmm. And we have obviously a lot of expertise in refining and, and chemicals. And we've been producing and consuming hydrogen for more than a hundred years already, right? We're yeah. one of the largest, people don't know this, but one of the largest hydrogen producers today. Right. Um, you know, more than a million tons a year is what we're producing and consuming. And then, once you have that, then what, you know, what do you do with the molecules then have to be able to either distribute them. So that's what we do in our kind of traditional fuels business and chemicals business, and also be able to market them, right? right. Again, so we're leveraging all of the capabilities that we have across the integrated ExxonMobil corporation. Right. Yeah, that, talking to so many people here at the conference, the biggest, one of the biggest things everyone's talking about for what's handicapping the hydrogen industry right now is offtake agreements. And you don't have to dive into any of them, but... It just seems like once that gets unlocked, it's going to really start flowing fast. And it seems like you know, ExxonMobil is one of the companies to really make that happen. Yeah, I, I, I believe so. And we're doing that today, you know, with Baytown, the, the reason yeah. why, you know, that's a foundational hydrogen project that we're doing. Yeah. And we're demonstrating that if we can do it with our own facilities, right. that should give confidence as well to the rest of the industry that this is possible. We have the technology the, to burn that 100% hydrogen in our, in our facilities. And that is something then that we can, we can offer to customers and almost you know, hold their hand through that yeah. transition to lower the barrier to adoption of, of hydrogen and other low carbon solutions. And if you kind of think about the policies that exist around the world, and, and we think about here in the US, there's the Inflation Reduction Act, which a lot of people, you know, a lot of excitement are, are around, and there is a lot of incentive there for producers. The question then is, what is the incentive for on the demand side for, right. for, you know, if you look at today in the US, there really is no penalty for, you know, continuing to do yeah. what you do today. So if you are burning natural gas, you can continue to burn natural gas without a right. penalty. So how do you incentivize those users, those companies then to move over? And that's where, yes, you need some kind of demand side policy to get people broadly over, but there'll be some people who will be willing to move quicker than that. Yeah. And... So that's where we want to help, right? We want to help them to do that, to give them the confidence that 
we can supply it reliably. We can supply it at the carbon intensity that they're looking for, that, that it will be within the affordability that they're demanding. And that technology is there so that when they go and you know invest that capital to retrofit their burners or right. whatever it may be, that it will work. Right. You know, having run a, a manufacturing plant previously, you know, within ExxonMobil, I absolutely understand the necessity to have reliability right. and to ensure that you're coming in on your costs, expectations, everything else. Because yeah. if you think about the 80% of energy related emissions that, that I mentioned right at the beginning, a lot of those businesses are also kind of low, low margin businesses. Right. right. So there's not a lot of room to move there. So if you're moving from an incumbent fuel to something that's new, that's what you're looking at versus the base case, right? It isn't a, a question of blue hydrogen versus green hydrogen and what, how does that cost compare to gray? Right. It's really, how does blue hydrogen or green hydrogen or choose your color hydrogen, right. how does that compare to the natural gas that I'm using today? Right. Or how does that compare to the diesel fuel I'm using today? Yeah, your original feedstock, if you're talking about blue or turquoise or any of those other right. colors, right. you have to bring that feedstock back into the, into the equation, which I don't think a lot of people are when they're talking about their costs. Right. And that's why yeah, we're here to advise on that. Yeah. So. And, you know, one other thing before I, I move on, kind of touched on it a little bit. We don't have to go into it too far, but that derivatives market. There was a presentation earlier today where some people in finance were talking about why aren't we seeing more money move into it? Or if we are seeing it, where is it going? No one actually talked about the, the derivatives. So ammonia, synthetic fuels, is that worth venturing into or is it more important to really get that baseline across that you know, get that infrastructure the the carbon capture handled so it's all important yeah. <laughs> there's no point in getting the infrastructure and the carbon capture and all that handled if you then can't move that energy or provide that solution to those who are willing to pay for it so you do need a mechanism to be able to transfer that energy from wherever you're producing it to wherever you're wanting to use it so the reality is, I think all of this is happening in tandem, and that's what we're seeing, right? Yeah. That's what's very exciting about this space. And you, you know, I know you see it, Paul, and just how quickly it's moving, how quickly people are learning. Yeah. And uh, you know, but if you think about how we see this space, we talk about you know this is that time before the exponential demand will come. This is yeah. that, that time to learn and go through those learning cycles and do the foundational projects, figure out what's required, and then drive costs down, develop technologies as well as advocating for constructive policies yes. to then increase the total addressable market that we can, we can go and deploy these low carbon solutions into. From what I've heard throughout the industry, your Baytown hydrogen facility is well received and will potentially be a game changer for the hydrogen industry. Yes, it will be a game changer for the hydrogen industry. Can you talk about what is needed on the policy side, both in the US and abroad, in order to scale these industrial solutions for hard to decarbonize sectors? Also, I'm curious how the low carbon solutions team is advocating for those changes. Sure. I think we all know that the energy transition will be expensive. Yeah. There's a reason why we don't use these solutions today. And that really comes back to the value that society places on CO2 it can manifest itself in many different forms. It can be in the form of a tax. It could be in the form of a, of a trading scheme or a mandate yeah. or an incentive. Lots of different ways that that can happen. But coherent government policy is what's really needed to help mitigate the risks, encourage growth in the in, in this industry, and reduce costs across the board, while speeding operations on the local, national, continental levels. If you look in the European Union, United Kingdom, Canada, the United States, 
you know, there's several positive developments which we which can point the way forward. Maybe start with the European Union. They're using much more of probably the, the stick approach, right? With 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 mandates, you see the Renewable Energy Directive three or Red three. Yeah. You know, they're they're mandating you know minimum one percent of all energy produced for transportation must be renewable fuels of non-biological origin, yeah. or RFNBOs, uh, you know, it just rolls off the tongue. <laughs> it does. And that's for transportation fuels. And, and they're also mandating as well by 2030 for, you know, 42% of a hydrogen industry to be green hydrogen or an e-fuel. Right. So the other aspect of that is why it can be difficult in, in Europe is they're specifying how to do the transition, right? Yep. And, and rather than setting the goal and letting the markets work and letting the markets and technology develop to find the right solution, the most cost-effective solution that's aligned with what industry and customers and and ultimately what the end consumer is willing to pay yeah you, you look at other ways that this can be done you look at the uk as an example where you know they, they are deploying more of a carrot approach you know they have a, a national hydrogen strategy for calling for five gigawatts of uh, low carbon hydrogen by 2030 yeah. you know much more technology agnostic approach you know blue can come in as well as green hydrogen yes and and there they're using more of a kind of contracts for difference is how they're, they're doing it with strike prices as well to yeah. keep you know keep you whole with uh, while making it affordable for the end users to be able to stop hydrogen versus something like like natural gas, which is what yeah. I'm currently using. And so that then enables projects like what we're trying to do in the southern coast of England with a solar cluster where you know we have you know CCS and, and, and potentially hydrogen we're looking to deploy there. Right. Yeah. Obviously in the US there's the Inflation Reduction Act. Right. Right. So there was obviously before that came along as well, there was the hydrogen hub funding, right? right. So you know billions of dollars available for hydrogen hubs. That's almost now a kind of, uh, it's almost a footnote, right? When you compare it to <laughs> what's available um, yeah. in the Inflation Reduction Act and you, you have uh, production tax credits via 45Q, which is yeah. the, the, the CO2, right. know, capture and storage, $85 a ton, or 45V, which is a production tax credit specifically for hydrogen based on its carbon intensity. Right. You, know, you could get up to $3 a kilo. That then is a significant carrot that can help incentivize this. But again, all on the supply and production side. And then there's other policies at the state level, regional level, for example, you know, California low carbon fuel standard, which could then enable some of these these projects going further. Yeah. Canada, another place, right, has in their 2023 national budget included robust low carbon hydrogen investment tax credit. And then there's a whole suite of other uh, incentives available at what well, carrots and sticks available in Canada. And again, depending on which province you, you, you go right. to, that can make this actually a very attractive business opportunity. Yeah. Suffice it to say, I mean, these are all kind of important tools for implementing, but given hydrogen projects exist on a really grand scale. And, you know, when we look at investments, we're measuring investments on a 20, 25, even 30 year uh, timescale. We need durable policy that provides that flexibility around the timelines with those strong incentives so that we can de-risk these investments and we can encourage that nascent growth. We can, not just on a supplier side, but give the confidence to the off-taker, to the eventual users, mm -hmm. that the capital that they go and invest will still be amenable it will still be you know they'll still be able to utilize that after the production tax credit for example in the u.s after the production yeah, tax credit ends in 10 years right so it only lasts for 10 years what happens after that right that's the big question yeah are they are they hoping that that technology will get to the point where it drives down the cost we, we just don't know we, we don't know right i mean we are in Exxon, we're, we're absolutely focused on driving down the cost and developing the technologies required, you know, throughout the value chain required to, right. to, to help with this. But I think I mentioned earlier, you can drive the costs down and that will help to activate more of these projects. Right. But at the same time, society needs to value CO2 and continue to increase the value of that CO2. Right. So policy needs to increase at the same time. So you can open that aperture, open that total addressable market 
and be able to activate more of these projects. Yeah, and you know, like you were saying, there are still some policies and politics that are involved. Are we going to have additionality clauses here in the U.S.? Is it going to be state-driven? So many questions still left unanswered that hopefully will get answered soon enough and right. we can actually see more solid future investments being made. Absolutely, yeah. So two final questions. In your opinion, if you were to write the blueprint for the future of the hydrogen industry, what would need to happen in the next 10 years in order to execute your grand vision? <laughs> 10 years, uh, yeah. Uh, <laughs> Short term. Yeah. Well, you know, we, we talked about technology, right? We talked about the need to develop technology, drive down costs there. So we can help on that part. We also, you think the grand vision, where we need a unified global approach in order for society to make its push for net zero emissions, you know, effectively. You know, to this end, you know, we can't underestimate the importance of business alliances and partnerships, you know, to coordinate technological standardization, guide global policy. And part of that, you know, ExxonMobil are involved in associations like the Hydrogen Council yeah. that we joined that last month. And that is an, you know, an international alliance of, of businesses and organizations of now, I think, 150 members that are focused on that. There are things like the Open Hydrogen Initiative that we are a foundation sponsor of. And that, is, again, is around how do you get a standardized approach to hydrogen energy measurements and the right. carbon intensity? Again, getting away from you know, hydrogen colors to something that's more useful for industry, industry and customers to drive what we really want. Because I'm still asked, well, what is that in MCF? <laughs> I don't know. Yeah. Last question. What do you consider to be the most important aspects of the hydrogen economy that we need to focus on as an industry? So as my team are very well aware, I mean, the three things that I like to keep reminding them of are that we need to be super focused on advocacy, technology development, and application development. Policy, as we've been talking a lot about, we need the policy to evolve across countries and governments. We need the constructive, durable policy to activate more of these projects yeah. and give us that confidence that the policy will be there and help de-risk some of these projects, especially in these early stages before Broadmark is developed. We need technology uh, advancements in the variety of production methods is not a one-size-fits-all solution. There's lots of complexities that, that ExxonMobil was positioned to manage. You know, we, we talk about through the value chain this hydrogen production, let's lower the cost of that. There is a mitigating e emission along the, the supply chain as yeah. well, right? So we look at what we're doing in, in the Permian Basin with our, our stated goal of, of getting to net zero emissions there by 2030. All of that helps as well. Yeah. And then we talk about how do you then transport that hydrogen energy around the world? And or even, even in the United States, how do you repurpose existing infrastructure? Right. You know, that's really important. If you want to lower the cost of this, how can we get a solution out to the market that is leveraging as much infrastructure that already exists in the world today. That's a great point. No. I, yeah, there, there are so many legacy power plants, coal, natural gas, whatever it is, that, I mean, they're, they're there, they can be retrofit to right. help out on this. And, you, you know, when I think about the energy system that exists today, you know, we have an electrical grid, we have a, a liquid system, right. crude oil and, and all the other fuels that derive from that. We have a, a gas system. That is infrastructure that has been built out over decades yeah right and this is the scale we know what we're, we're we're trying to do in this low carbon space is in a very short years what has taken other energy uh, solutions and decades even centuries to build out we talked i was talking earlier today around coal mines and the like you know they the modern kind of coal industry built out in the 18th century you know yeah. it's, you know fueling the industrial revolution the oil refinery kind of mid 19th century is when the first of those came along nuclear power plant the first nuclear power plant came along in 1951 right 
first solar plant was only 40 years ago. It was only 40 years yeah, ago, 40 years ago. And you look at where we are today with solar. So yeah. you think about the pace of this transition and what's being called on, it's a significant challenge, but it's a challenge that we think is, is worth undertaking. And, and then maybe just to pull round out what you, the, you know, what you were asking here, applications. So this is the, again, another advantage with ExxonMobil. We are decarbonizing our own facilities as well. We understand that there's challenges in moving from natural gas to burning hydrogen. But we're developing the technologies. You know, we have burner technology. We we're confident that we can burn 100% hydrogen and have no issues with NOx emissions. Right? Right. You hear a lot about NOx because of uh, flame temperature right, and, yeah. and then you know, drawing in more nitrogen from the air. But you know, we have a solution for that. And as we show the world that this can be done, that will give more confidence to others as well that this is a viable solution and that there is a pathway uh, there. It's been an absolute pleasure having you here. Thank uh, you so much. Well, thanks a lot, Paul. I mean, I'm glad to have been able to, to share you know, all the exciting things that we're doing uh, here in ExxonMobil. If you have any questions, you can go to ExxonMobil's Low Carbon Solutions business. They can go to lowcarbon.exxonmobil.com and you'll get some details there. I recommend following the Low Carbon Solutions LinkedIn page. There's a treasure trove of information there with more coming soon. Thanks, everyone. Take care. Stay safe. I'll talk to you later. Hey, this is Paul. I hope you liked this podcast. If you did and want to hear more, I'd appreciate it if you would either subscribe to this channel on YouTube or connect with your favorite platform through my website at www.thehydrogenpodcast.com. Thanks for listening. I very much appreciate it. Have a great day.